you got a Bible handy, get to Hebrews chapter 13. We're wrapping up our series that we've been in called Stay with Jesus. You'll find it on page 1,924 if you're using a pew Bible. And uh, we'll get there. This, if you have been with us throughout this journey, look in the book of Hebrews. It it's really is a, a letter written to a people who started, uh, Jewish people who put their faith in Jesus Christ and began following after him. Uh, and those early days were exciting. Uh, Acts chapter 5, verse 13, describes the Jewish community that became believers, described them as, as a group of, of people that others admired. Those who weren't of faith yet looked at them and admired them and wanted to join them, but there was sort of this fear in them and about making that step. Uh, but that, that, those early believers were, were, were just admired, and yet as time and as the gospel started spreading out throughout the known world at that time, that admiration turned to, uh, to, well, to, to ridicule and humiliation. That those, those Christians, as time passed on, uh, experienced uh, pressure and persecution, and, um, and they were wanting to go back to those uh, worship practices that were safe, where uh, personal cost wasn't uh, being paid. And so they began to take steps away from Jesus and back to their Judaism, which has prompted this letter that we've been studying to tell them to stay with Jesus. And as we've been learning, uh, this focus of who Christ is uh, and just saying that, you know, Jesus is greater than angels, he's greater than Moses, greater than Joshua, greater than Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, the tabernacle, the temple, all of that, he's greater than, and he alone uh, is, is worthy. He alone, uh, by his grace, can make us holy. And so he, this, these people who are taking steps away because of the, the, the real persecution that they're encountering, they're being urged to stay with Christ. And, um, and so that, that's, that's the message of the book of Hebrews. And chapter 13, as we get to the end of it, is it can appear to be sort of these random, final things that someone says in a letter, but there is a, a thread of continuity to these different topics that are brought up in Hebrews chapter 13. Uh, but the part uh, we're going to be talking about today is verse 8 through 16, because that really matches the context uh, for the whole book. I'll, I'll fill you in on some of the, what, what other things are saying there. Uh, but we'll, we'll stand and we'll read that here in, in a few moments. In the mid-1930s and the early 1940s, the political climate uh, was changing in our world. If you know your world history, you know a guy named Adolf Hitler was rising to power in Germany and, uh, and began uh, attacking countries around, around him. And Europe was experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear. And, uh, and World War II began, and uh, the U.S. Uh, got pulled into World War II through, uh, through the, the action by the Japanese at Pearl Harbor. And uh, in the mid-1940s, there was quite a bit of fear and anxiety in our own country in the U.S. about what the future would hold. In fact, there was uh, even some hysteria about, uh, about what the future might hold for us and, and who was going to win this war. The U.S. government decided to do something unusual to calm the fears of Americans. They had a conversation with a guy named Walt Disney, a name you might know. And uh, they, uh, the U.S. government contacted Walt Disney and asked him to create a cartoon to help uh, calm the fears of Americans. The cartoon was called, that Walt produced, was called Chicken Little. Remember Chicken Little? 
uh, this dim-witted little poultry figure who would run around and, and shout, the sky is falling. Uh, in that original cut from that animated cartoon, um, there's this character. There's all these barnyard, farmyard animals. Uh, they have pretty strange names. Uh, one of them, his name is, is Foxy Loxy. Uh, and in the original pr production of this cartoon, Foxy Loxy is reading a book. It's Mein Kampf. It's the book that inspired Hitler's uh, his, his idea to attack uh, the world. And, uh, and, and, and he's reading Mein Kampf, and he's trying to look for the least intelligent, most dim-witted farmyard animal he can find. He discovers Chicken Little. He takes a piece of wood that has a star on it, chucks it over a fence, and it hits Chicken Little in the head. The knot rises... And Chicken Little comes to the conclusion that the sky is falling. And so Chicken Little races through the barnyard, races through the farm, running through the hen house, proclaiming this message, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And his message does not fall on deaf ears. The, the, the farmyard animals are whipped into a frenzy and people are running everywhere and they're frightened because it seems like the end has come. And they're gathered in, in the cartoon, they're gathered in a circle, you know, hens and, you know, other animals and pigs and cows. And, and they're having this discussion about the end of the world because the sky is falling and a rooster steps in and, and clears up the mess and says, no, the sky is not falling, calm down. That, that was the U.S. government's approach to solving fear in the U.S. in the mid-1940s. Uh, but the message got, really the message got through that things aren't as bad as they appear. Uh, now, the book of Hebrews, obviously the, the, the political landscape uh, may have been changing, and there's political climate change, but actually the impact it had on those early Christians was that the spiritual climate was changing. Remember, Acts 5.13, it's saying there that the Christians were admired. Book of Hebrews, we got Christians who are being publicly humiliated. They're being beaten, thrown in prison, losing property, shunned by family, losing jobs for being associated with Jesus Christ. The spiritual climate is changing, and the question in Hebrews chapter 13 that the writer is answering is, how do we respond, how do we cope when there's spiritual climate change in our community or in a country? How do we avoid running through the hen house, so to speak, in panic, coming to the conclusion that the sky is falling, the sky is falling? What do we do? And Hebrews chapter 13 is, is going to answer that question, but let's just get practically relevant for us and ask this question, what do we do when the spiritual climate is changing in our own community or in our own state or nation? How do we respond? How do we keep from overreacting in fear, anxiety, or even anger and run through the hen house shouting, the sky is falling, the sky is falling? I mean, what do you do when the, when the New York Times bestseller for 15 weeks is the book Fifty Shades of Grey and continues to be on the recommended readers list in the New York Times? Over a year. What do you do when, when Ned Flanders is the caricature of a, of a Christian uh, on, on TV? What do you do when this last week a professional athlete comes out of the closet, so to speak, announces his sexuality, and, and the nation applauds him as a hero, and on the very same day, a Christian professional athlete is let go from his team, and he's described as the most polarizing athlete to ever play professional sports. 
What do you do? How do we respond when the spiritual climate of our community, of our nation is changing? That is the question that Hebrews chapter 13 is answering to help us understand that we don't have to run through the hen house, come to the conclusion the sky is falling, the sky is falling. There's some very practical things that we can do. So if you've got your Bibles, would you stand? I want to read these eight verses just tucked right in the middle of Hebrews chapter 13 as we wrap up our series on this book. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food, which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. This is God's holy word, and you can be seated. How do we cope with change, spiritual climate change, without panicking? One of the very first things, and by the way, the first five verses of Hebrews chapter 13 are talking about love. Love each other. Love the stranger. Show hospitality. uh, Care for those who are being imprisoned. Love them. uh, Honor marriage. uh, Love be appropriately honored in a a marriage relationship. And then don't love money. Those first five verses are all about love. And really what he's saying there in those first five verses is if you want to love each other, if you want to show hospitality and love strangers, if you want to honor marriage, if you want to care and love for those who are imprisoned, then be free from the love of money. Being free from materialism will allow you to meet the needs of a community, allow you to be generous to those who are oppressed. It'll free you up to love and, 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 and love appropriately. And, and so that's, that's the first five verses, what's going on, th- on there. And then there are a couple verses, uh, verse 7, verse 17, talk about uh, you know, remembering your leaders, o- obeying your spiritual leaders. I was really tempted to just spend the whole time on that, but... Uh, <laughs> But really, the heart, the heart of, of Hebrews 13 gets to those verses we read. And verse 7, where it does say, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God, it gets to verse 8 and says, Jesus Christ never changes. And in verse 8, one of the very first things that does change is people. And I think he's referring to leaders. I think he's speaking to the Christian community and saying, hey, people change. So don't be attracted by strange new ideas. That, that in spiritual climate change, don't be deceived by, by strange new teachings that come, foreign ideas that would lead you away from the unchanging Christ. And, and it goes on to say, your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which do not help those who follow them. What he's speaking about here is that in this, in this Jewish, this Christian Jewish community, there was this idea that if you wanted to be really acceptable to God in this time of, sp- of spiritual climate change, you needed to, to, to obey these rules and regulations. And let me just say right from the very beginning, when spiritual climate change begins to take place, one of the first casualties is grace. 
It's grace because, that's one of the first casualties, because when we see our world becoming darker, we want to make sure that we're not like them, so we retreat and we create rules and regulations and, and so that we don't look like them. And if we can obey the rules, we, we, that makes us feel stronger. We think that that strengthens us, and it is not the case. Rules and regulations will not strengthen you. There's this, grace ends up being one of the first casualties when, 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 when the spiritual climate begins to change. Let me just put it this way. When I worked for United Parcel Service, it was, it was some time ago, but when I worked there, um, uh, we, it didn't matter how hot the summer was, we had to wear long brown pants and brown shirts with long sleeves. We were allowed to roll up our sleeves two rolls. It didn't matter if it was 100 degrees out. You, had to, you were out in your, in your package car, which was like an oven in the back, and you were running around delivering packages, and we wanted to wear shorts. We wanted to wear short sleeve shirts, but we were told we don't wear short, uh, we don't wear shorts. We don't wear short sleeve shirts because the enemy wears shorts. The enemy wears short sleeve shirts. The post office, that's how they dress. That's how FedEx drivers dress. We are different. We have policies. We have regulations. We will look sharp and sweaty. We will look sharp <laughs> with long sleeve shirts because we don't want to look like them. I, that's it's exactly what the writer is saying. Look, don't be fooled into thinking that that if you can make rules, that that will somehow help you be a stronger believer. Rules and regulations will not strengthen you. You feel strong when you're saying no to things. The writer clearly says, grace strengthens us. Meaning that for people who are rooted in grace, meaning that we are rooted in the fact that God loves us, that we do not have to perform for him in order to be righteous. That by his grace, he makes us holy. Once we yield our lives to him, our relationship with God is no longer about performance. It's about transformation. He's changing us. He's forming us. But in grace, being strengthened by grace means that God likes me. And that strengthens our hearts. Because it doesn't matter where I might fail or where I not, might not measure up. It never puts into any kind of, uh, of jeopardy my relationship with my God who calls me friend. That strengthens my heart. And so rather than, than grace being a casualty, I sink my roots deep in a God who loves me and likes me. And instead of running through the hen house saying, do this, don't do that, I find myself rooted in grace. Grace is one of, the, one of the things that we must strengthen ourselves in when spiritual climate change is taking place. That way we become gracious. and We don't become fearful and we don't become angry. We strengthen ourselves in grace. In fact, that's what the next verse is really getting to. Uh, it may seem like, well, what's this got to do with anything? We have an altar. Speaking of Jesus, that's the metaphor being used here. We have an altar from which the priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. What he's saying there is that grace and rules and regulations can never mix. It's like oil and water and ducks and beavers. They just don't go together. 
all right? Grace and legalism cannot mix. And you need to know that legalism, rules and regulations that somehow make you think you're acceptable to God, will not strengthen you in a time of crisis. Grace, a complete comprehension of God's love for you, rooted in that, will help you stand when spiritual climate change is taking place. So the first thing we need to understand is that people change, root yourself in grace. The second thing you need to know is that not only people change, circumstances change. So that's where we pick it up in in verse 11 where he says, under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. What in the world? This is day of atonement language. Remember our study in Leviticus? Leviticus, it was really important to, to study this last fall because what he's talking about here is, you know, in, when, they were, when Israel was camping in the wilderness, if you had a rash or you had mildew on your, you know, your, your curtains or you had mushrooms in your garden or whatever the rule was, that you became unclean. You had to go outside the, guard, outside the, the camp. And you went through ceremonial cleansing because you were unclean. And then once you were ceremonially clean, you could come back in. Inside the camp, holy, outside the camp, unholy. And so he's using Day of Atonement language here to tell us that Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. For this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. What he's saying here is, look, when, when spiritual climate change is taking place, don't be like Chicken Little and run through the hen house screaming, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, and be full of fear and anxiety. Strengthen yourself in grace and be willing to be identified with the unchanging Christ and bear disgrace. Strengthened in grace, bear disgrace, just like he did for you and I. Outside the camp in the unholy place, he took all our sin and shame upon himself so that we might be made holy. And he's saying this to these Hebrews who are encountering persecution and saying to them, willingly bear the disgrace that comes from being associated with me. If you can tolerate another UPS story, I was working for UPS. Um, actually, my, my, I was fresh off the boat from China. I grew up overseas. I didn't know anything about America. I came back to the US. My first job, I was a library assistant in a college. <laughs> Think about that with me. That didn't last very long. Then I got hired at UPS. I was on a load line. After about nine months, I got, I got promoted as a part-time supervisor. After a, a, a morning shift, I go up to the office, and there is a pile of packages um, by, the, by the office. And um, it turns out that Macy's, the department store, was on strike. The, the, the employees were on strike. And they were all, the packages there were all piled up because the package drivers couldn't cross picket lines because they were Teamsters, uh, part of a union, and so you didn't cross the picket line. Now, I had no idea what a Teamster was, what a union was. I didn't know what picket lines were. I didn't, I didn't really understand unions other than what I studied in, you know, in high school. Um, so I, I was shocked to see the packages because we had this policy that you know, every package is delivered, and so I said, well, what's gonna happen to these packages? And they said, well, we, we need someone to, to deliver them. Um, who's one of our, our part-time supervisors. And so I raised my hand and said, well, I'll do it. And they said, wow, great, that'd be awesome. And so I, uh, 
back my package car up, load that stuff in, shut the door, tighten my tie, and sort of whistle my way through the streets of San Francisco where I worked on my way to Macy's. This is going to be a great day. I was going to deliver some packages, you know, go back, and eventually do the rest of the day. And as I'm driving up to Union Square in San Francisco, whistling my way down the street, uh, I see this, this large group of people that are sort of marching in a circle out front of Macy's. They're holding signs. And as I get closer, I can see they're, they're fairly animated. There's a lot of energy in this group. In fact, this is not a group. This is a mob. And, uh, and they see me driving up, and, uh, and they look, and all their ire and anger now is redirected at me. And I'm pulling up, and I am shocked um, because they, they are shouting at me. They don't like me. And I don't know why they don't like me. They're, they're calling me names. They, they called me a scab. I don't even know what a scab was. I just knew it wasn't good because they were yelling it at me. They were throwing things at me. They were spitting at me. And I was like, the, the side doors of the truck were open. And I was just, get through this little alleyway to the to loading dock. Get the packages out as quick as I could and get out of there. I did not like Macy's. I drove back, not whistling, back to the hub and parked my car. And the supervisor said, how'd it go? Not good. It was, they, those people are mad. I said, well, well, yeah, they're on strike. No, they're really mad. <laughs> Next day I get there, packages all by the office. Guess who did not volunteer to go to Macy's? <laughs> Do you know what the writer of Hebrews is saying to this group? Go back to Macy's. Go back to Macy's. You know that experience you have where you were hauled out in public and you were publicly humiliated, even beaten? Go bear that disgrace. Because Jesus went outside the camp and bore disgrace on your behalf. What do you do when the spiritual climate is changing in a community? How do you avoid being like Chicken Little and running through the hen house saying the sky is falling or being angry and shouting the sky is falling? We gotta do something. Well, we strengthen ourselves in grace. We don't, we don't make rules so that it's an us and them thing. No, we, we strengthen ourselves in God's love so we can continue to be gracious to our community and we bear disgrace willingly because that's what he did for us. And the reason we do that is because the next verse says, we know this isn't home. Verse 14, this world is not our permanent home. We're looking forward to a home yet to come. And one day there will be honor. And one day there will be peace. But this isn't home. Strengthen yourself in grace. Bear disgrace. And then finally, verse 15 says, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. Don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Root yourself in grace, be strengthened by it, bear disgrace, and worship. Worship horizontally, speaking of of meeting the needs in the body of Christ, specifically that's what he's talking about here. When you see someone in need, Meet that need. As you do, that's worship. It pleases God. It pleases God when we care for each other. When people are fed, when clothes are given, when shelter is provided. That pleases God. That's, that's worship. It's horizontal. Then there's vertical worship. And when you vertically worship in the midst of crisis, you know what happens is God's sovereignty looms large. I, I'll never forget the story my, my grandfather, who uh, lived in China for many, many years, he was a missionary there, uh, when the Cultural Revolution was taking place, 
when the spiritual climate was changing in China. Many, many Christians were persecuted, pastors thrown in prison. And there's a story of one pastor who uh, his job in prison was twice a week to go into the cesspool and clean it out. Now, he would have to wade waist deep in human waste and, and, clean, it, and clean it all out. Now, um, it's, it just reeks so badly that the Chinese guards wouldn't go close, which was a, a blessing for this one Chinese prisoner uh, who was a pastor because that was the one time or the two times a week that he could by himself worship out loud. And he would waste deep in this cesspool of human waste. And one of the stories he told my grandfather, his favorite song to sing was this. Some of you know this song. He would sing out loud, waist deep in human waste. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses. And the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Worship transformed a cesspool into a rose garden. Worship transformed this this cesspool into a rose garden where a, a Chinese prisoner met and talked and walked with God. And you need to know that the crisis never makes the person. Meaning, we don't sit here and say, well, you know, when that happens to me, I'm gonna stand firm. No, the crisis never makes the person. It's the everyday routines that allow us when the chance or when the opportunity or when that might come or we have to stand waist deep, waist deep in a cesspool. That, by that everyday routine of being a worshiper, will empower us and enable us to stand and transform a cesspool into a rose garden. So even at the beginning of climate change, spiritually speaking, we worship because God's sovereignty looms large. How do you cope when the spiritual climate of a, of a community or a nation is, is changing? Well, as we wrap up our series in Hebrews about staying with Jesus, written to real people living in a real time when there was real pain from just even gathering to worship Jesus. Strengthen yourself in grace. God loves you. He likes you. Be willing to go to Macy's. Bear disgrace. And worship. Fix your eyes on Jesus, our pioneer, our author, the initiator and perfecter of our faith.